To the ether. Today is Friday, May 12th, 2023. Today on the ether, the House of Chimera hosts the Radix Discovery. Let's take a listen. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in once again with uh, one of our Twitter Spaces. Um, today we actually have a really, really interesting Twitter Space. We are today we are accompanied with Adam of um, XRD Works, RDX Works. Excuse me. He's the um, CSO of uh, RDX Works. Maybe you can introduce yourself a little bit, Adam. Hey, I'd love to. since you are here. Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you very much for having me on. So uh, as you said, my name is Adam Simmons. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer at RDX Works, which is one of the core developers behind the Radix network. Um, I've been with Radix for uh, just under three years now. I joined as the uh, about 21st person onto the team. Um, Radix has been running since, or really started back in 2013, when our founder, Dan, uh, got caught by the Bitcoin bug. And as every good developer did, started playing around with it. And since then, he's we spent eight years in research and development as a team to really find a solution to the problems facing Web3 mass adoption. And the exciting thing is our mainnet's been live for just uh, under two years, uh, sorry, just over two years now. And also we've got smart contracts going live at the end of July. Yes, yeah, so that's something we will definitely speak about later. Just, of the, just out of the, um, uh, like a bit of a, explanation right so what is rdx works like what's what is the what is the entity about um so rdx works is one of the um companies working on the radx network so rdx works is one of the core developers so our team uh, does a lot of the the marketing and awareness for radx and also um most of the core development. We also have uh, Radix Tokens Jersey, which is the token issuing uh, company for Radix and is a subsidiary of the Radix Foundation. Ah, gotcha. So it's like, um, is it like comparable with like Ethereum Foundation or like Eva Labs and all these like entities which are just building up on like their own networks? It's like RDX works is kind of the same, right? Yeah, similar. Yeah, similar to like Eva Labs okay. with Avalanche. Gotcha, gotcha. So obviously, um, we are here to uh, talk about RDX, RDX today. So maybe you could give me a bit of an idea. What is RDX? What is it trying to do? Um, yeah, maybe let's start from there, and then we can go deeper into like the upcoming smart contracts and all that. Yeah, so uh, Radix, um, uh, which is XRD, not RDX. Um, Radix is a permissionless decentralized network. So we started back in 2013, really with the focus of how do we make distributed ledger technology such as blockchains um, scale to the, meet the demands of billions of users and trillions of dollars of assets moving onto them. And after eight years of R&D, we had a design in place for our own unique consensus algorithm called Cerberus, uh, which is uh, able to achieve linear scalability without breaking atomic composability, which essentially means that uh, it can scale to any level of demand just by adding more nodes to it. And 
then at that point, we were like, hey, we've got a, a highly scalable network design. What should this be used for? And this was around the 2019, uh, 2020 period when DeFi was being coined as a term. And we look back at some of the research that we've been doing, and we'd seen that things like decentralized exchanges, decentralized lending, were all proof of concepts we'd worked on during the R&D phase. And we're like, actually, DeFi is the killer application for DLTs, because distributed ledgers obviously have a whole host of benefits, but are inherently more expensive to process um, information on than a centralized service. So if you're going to do that, you have to have an economic reason to pay that higher cost. And financial transactions or movements of assets or things of value um, is one of those use cases where the benefits of like decentralization and security and immutability make it worthwhile to put that onto a DLT. And so as all good product companies do, at that stage, we're like, cool. So we've already seen that some of these, like Ethereum's got a smart contract platform. Yes, we're way more scalable, but what else is the problems to really making things like DeFi and Web3 uh, achieve mass adoption? And so we went out and spoke to about a thousand uh, DeFi developers, Web3 developers, FinTech developers, and, and general developers. And the thing we overwhelmingly heard was that the experience of developing and building projects in Web3 sucks. It's it's a nightmare, be it the billions of dollars of exploits and hacks that happen, be it the multi-year time it takes for a developer to go up the talent curve to the point they can build production-grade apps, um, or just the fact that there's such a shortage of developers because of those reasons projects can't hire. And so then we were like, cool, so clearly EVM is causing some major issues for a, the developer experience. So we then set to work on building our own programming language. And um, so programming on Radex is in a language called Scripto. Scripto is based on Rust with some added components around asset management built in and our own execution environment called the Radex engine. Again, at that point, we were like, cool, we've got this great developer experience. We're getting incredible feedback from it from developers when I went into early access a year and a half ago. And then we did, as all good products companies do yet again, is go, what other problems are facing mass adoption? And it became really obvious that actually the user experience in Web3 and DeFi today really sucks. Like things like seed phrases, since like things like blind signing are just not suitable for even the enthusiasts here today, like you only have to go to Twitter and see people who've lost millions of dollars in their NFT collection because of a spend approval attack. If those experienced enthusiast users are still having problems with that, how on earth are our friends and our family ever going to confidently use this technology? So we then looked at, okay, how do we solve that problem? And, and one of the big things we saw was the choices we made when building uh, our consensus layer and also our execution layer with the Radix engine allowed us to make a radically better user experience in the form of the new Radix wallet, um, which is a mobile first wallet that's coming with our Babylon upgrade at the end of July. That's, that's awesome. So there's a lot of things to digest there. So just to recap a little what you said. So you guys are scalable through your consensus method and allowing to basically um, you're to linearly scale, right? So you can just add more nodes to basically um, meet the demand if there is any increase in demand, correct? Uh, yes, with the, uh, so with the full version of Cerberus, that's correct. And another part you guys are unique in, in a sort of you guys try to make it accessible as possible where Solidity, I think Solidity, even if you want to like have like a simple DEX, it's going to take a, quite a bit of time. Currently, obviously, a lot of DEXs 
just fork Uniswap or whatsoever and just uses that. But you guys try to make it more accessible by decreasing the amount of code which is required, but also making it way more accessible for the user with a better user experience, correct? That's basically... Or do you want to add anything on that? Yes, yeah, so I'd say on, on, on the developer and, and, and user side, the, the big thing is it, it's uh -huh. not just about being uh, less lines of code. It's about really making it far more intuitive to build secure and powerful decentralized applications. And we can go into that in more details, but basically that is good not only for developers because they are able to build what they want to build and what they envision far more intuitively. But it's also more secure and able to do more, which means that for users, they get a better user experience. They get apps uh, or decentralized apps that they can utilize without having as much worry about whether all of their money is going to disappear. And it ultimately means that then more developers can build more things, which give users more choice of where they want to put their assets or spend their time in Web3. It makes a lot of sense. I think in the current space, uh, there is so many layer ones, right? So like a lot of layer ones are popping off and every layer one has some unique aspects. And obviously you already put a few unique aspects out there, but if you had to uh, like go along with the audience, right? And if you had to compare Radix, for example, with any other layer one, you can pick one just out of uh, simplicity. You, I think Ethereum is probably the easiest one. What would you say is the unique aspect for Radix? What is, what, what should people be excited about? So the, the main thing I'd say people should be excited about with Radix isn't one particular thing. The, the problem with many other L1s and especially with incumbents like Ethereum is that they, they revolutionize the concept. So Ethereum brought smart contracts to the world, an incredible innovation. And I describe it very similar to how the Wright brothers were responsible for the first unpowered human flight. And it was an incredible achievement. It was the first time in human history uh, we, we did such a thing. Now, to make that better, it wasn't just making something a bit better. We don't fly, we didn't invent the jet engine and go, oh, cool, now we can take the Wright Brothers plane, strap a jet engine to it and fly from London to New York. It wasn't just fixing the jet engine that made that possible. It was a thousand things that all had to be improved really from a fundamental level to make it actually mass adoption and mass market viable. And that's what Radix has done. We haven't just solved one problem. We haven't made one thing better. We've taken a full stack approach of a tightly integrated stack all the way from the core consensus algorithm up to the execution environment, the programming language, through to the user experience to make all of those things work seamlessly together to provide the end user and end developer benefits needed for mass adoption. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think actually that makes like a lot of sense because a lot of what a lot of layer ones do currently is uh, they just fix one aspect, right? So most of them are really focused on scalability and then they kind of forget about the user experience. So that's actually what I really, really appreciate about Radix is that you guys care about the actual accessibility for the user and also the accessibility for the developer, which makes a lot of sense um, considering, well, you need users. You can be as scalable as you want, but if no one is gonna use it because of a, yeah, like a horrible experience to begin with, then there's no real point to be scalable to begin with. And I think that's something that like, gets a really overlooked point. And I've actually heard from a lot of people actually that they loved um, the, uh, the, the Radix UI. Like how generally, for example, the wallet, it's great. It's really, really easy to use. It's not like you don't have a lot of like, like redundant layers of complexity. And another point which I, I definitely 100% agree with you is the fact that um, 
even people which are in the industry for a really, really long time, they blindsign certain like <laughs> they blindsign certain like smart contracts and yeah, you get literally rocked in the sense of all the NFTs are gone. And this is something which didn't happen once. It happens really, really frequently. And I mean, if I think about, for example, elderly people, which are they are not gonna they are not gonna use this at all. If these are such if 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 even the antishots, the people which use these um, use this technology nearly every day are getting rocked, right? So I think that's a really really good point. And one thing you kind of mentioned already is the uh, is the uh, upcoming update, right? So maybe you could tell us a bit more about it because it's going to be one of the most significant updates out yet, I think, because it's the main update. You guys are going to get a lot of projects going to be on board, uh, considering the smart contracts will be available. So maybe you can guys. Maybe you can give me a bit of an impression what's um, what is coming up and how impactful it will be. Yeah, so the the next big upgrade to the Radix mainnet is uh, codenamed Babylon. So the Babylon upgrade is happening on July thirty first, and it's when Scripto and the Radix engine get deployed onto the Radix mainnet. That means that, as you say, smart contracts can be deployed. So Scripto and the Radix engine started off their journey in early access uh, back in December 2021. Since then, it's gone through early access on local machine only, a public test environment, Alphanet, Betanet. It's currently on our release candidate test network. And we've had thousands of developers try and use uh, Scripto. We've had great feedback about it. We currently have over 50 projects already announced to be going live with our Babylon mainnet and really kick off the ecosystem on Radix. And then the other big piece is that thanks to the Radix engine going live, the new Radix wallet goes live as well. So the new Radix wallet we showed off at the RadFi keynote event in December. Um, if anyone hasn't seen that and would like to understand more about Radix, I'd highly recommend it. Just search for uh, Radix RadFi and you'll, you'll find it really quickly. Um, and the thing about the wallet is it's not just a pretty user interface. So this is something that I, I always make sure that people understand is that when we look at things like blind signing or how the interface on MetaMask works, it's not because the incredibly smart, hardworking people at Consensus have sat down one day and go, hey, a random string of letters and numbers that you just click approve for, that's great, perfect, job done guys, let's go home. They know it's not a good experience. The problem is, at the wallet interface level, you can only deal with the information that the network and the execution environment provide you. So the Radix engine actually passes up a transaction manifest, which is in itself pretty human readable, but is easily passed by any wallet on Radix and can then be previewed of exactly what's going to happen. It shows the assets leaving, what assets will leave your account, what dApps will be interacted with, and then what assets are predicted to be deposited back into your account, all very clearly in a truly human readable way. You can even set things like guarantees directly in the wallet, which are enforced by the network on things like slippage. So if you're like, hey, if I don't get at least 100 token B back, don't do the transaction. That's set at the network layer. So not only is that great for users because they have the confidence that their transaction is going to do what it's shown in the wallet very clearly, but it also means the developers don't have to build in at the application layer these sort of safeguards. And all of this is coming live um, at the end of July with our Babylon upgrade. So to put it in layman terms, right? Would that like if you come back to like plain like simple English, that would mean there's like sort of a simulation mechanism where I, for example, I want to do a swap. It will simulate it for me and will pro and will tell me, well, this is going to happen. This is going to go out of your wallet and this is going to come into the wallet. Correct. And the same goes for NFTs. Um, similar. So it, it's it's 
it shows you a preview of what the transaction is going to be. Now, that preview isn't having to run a simulation of it. The transaction manifest itself actually talks about or actually shows what asset movements are going to happen. So to understand this a bit better, the on, on Radix, assets are native functions of the language. So on things like Ethereum or any other um, Ethereum virtual or EVM compatible chain, assets are defined by smart contract standards. So things like ERC-20 tokens, uh, NFTs, obviously, are defined by a smart contract that is just made a standard because everyone agrees to use it, so it's interoperable. On Radix, assets are native functions of the language. They're actually controlled by a type of logic called a finite state machine. Now, finite state machines are very predictable in what will happen with them, which of course is what you want with assets. You want predictable things to occur. So while the entire language is Turing complete and anything can be made, asset movement is enforced by finite state machines. Now, in practice, this means that when you have a transaction, when you see that preview, it's very easy to see from the network and from the actual transaction manifest what's going to happen with tokens. It describes it. So in the example of a simple swap, it could be like token A is going to be withdrawn from account one on your wallet that is going to be sent to um, Radix swap um, hypothetical DEX. And then that's going to swap that and you're going to get back 50 token B, which will be deposited back into account A. That is all as part of the transaction manifest. That is then in a wallet or in the Radix wallet uh, passed and a simple preview is shown in, in a nice graphical way that you can see exactly what's going to happen and you can set things like the guarantees at that layer. Now, that's only possible because of the fact the Radix engine understands what assets are. And the, the other analogy I like using around the Radix engine is it's very similar to like a game engine for DeFi. So if you think back to original video games, when you started trying to create those, you had to start by programming physics, lighting, render engines, which is insanely hard and takes a lot of time. Game engines came along and made all of those um, be built in. They were still adjustable. It didn't constrain what developers and game developers could do. If their game was in space, they could turn gravity off, but it made it so much quicker to use um, these low-level functions because they were built in while still being highly customizable for anything you want to do. Radix does the same for asset behavior. Now, assets could be tokens, it could be NFTs, or really any kind of um, asset you can think of. So another one we use in Radix quite a lot is something called a badge. Now, a badge is a type of NFT, although it can be fungible as well where by owning, having that in your account, you can show it as part of a transaction to give you certain permissions. Conceptually, you can think of it exactly the same as like a, a badge you have to get into an office building. It might let you in the front door, but you can't get in the server room with your badge unless they update uh, the permissions of what that badge can do. And all of that is made possible by the Radix engine. I mean, that is quite a huge thing because in that case, like, Simple signing attacks won't be necessarily that easy to pull off anymore because, well, it's gonna you get a preview what's go, what's gonna happen, right? Exactly. And considering this is this is a huge issue, a lot of people. Um, I mean, the thing is, I think uh, one of the issues which you guys prevent here is that a lot of users they just blindly sign. They have no idea what's gonna happen. They just pray and hope that it will be fine. Um, and the thing is, to be really fair with you, we cannot really blame them either. Because if you have to go through every message you sign, you have to understand what's going on. It's going to cost you a lot of time. And for a lot of people, they, they're not really interested in that, right? Yep. They just want to do a swap or whatever. They just want to 
do whatever. They might, might want to sell NFT in open seas or whatever. So I think that is a really, really interesting point uh, because I think a lot of people overlook that point that it's actually a big uh, problem, uh, especially for adoption um, because no one is going to use a technology where they can lose everything they have by literally signing one wrong message, right? Exactly. Um, and another point you have uh, mentioned uh, earlier is uh, the language you guys use, right? The programming language. I've actually heard quite a good things about it, but what makes it so different than all the other languages which we out there, for example, Stability or even some other uh, chains, they use like um, uh, some compliance for the wall machines and all that. So what makes uh, S-Crypto, C-Crypto, how do you pronounce it? Scripto. Yes, Scripto. 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 Uh, Scripto, what makes Scripto uh, better or maybe not even better, but maybe more accessible for developers compared with all the other languages. Yeah, so I'd say there's there's two big things. So the first is obviously Scripto. Um, assets are are easily described on what you want to happen with assets in Scripto. So ultimately, Scripto just is the way developers program what happens in the Radix engine. So on Solidity, um, it's message oriented. It describes what messages are sent between different contracts to update balances of, say, like an ERC-20 contract, to say how many tokens that public key owns. On, on Radix and with Scripto, you actually can easily describe where assets move. They move between different vaults. And so this makes it very intuitive to understand how asset movement is going to happen. So to use an example of, say, something like an automated market maker or a DEX is if you if you ask someone who hasn't built in Solidity how something like Uniswap works, conceptually, it's really simple. You're like, well, you've got a user who has a wallet. That wallet has token A in it. They send it into um, a swap function or a swap um, program that accepts token A, has some internal logic, and then sends out token B, and then the user wallet has token B in it. And if they send token B in, it accepts that and does the internal logic the other way and sends back token A. Conceptually, that's really simple. Whereas in Solidity, that's not how it works at all. The, the diagram would be more like the user signs with their private key to a allow the LP token contract, which is itself just an ERC-20 contract, permission to update that private keys balances in two other ERC-20 smart contracts, unlimited amount of changes of whatever it wants to, um, to update that balance. And then the user wallet has to query those uh, two secondary ERC-20 contracts to ask what its current balance is. Now, even a very simple conceptual app like uh, a DEX swap that I've just described there already sounds pretty confusing. And you can see all the places where things like exploits can occur or re-entry attacks can occur because it is quite convoluted. On Radex and in Scripto, actually the way you would architect that is exactly how you intuitively think. There is a user wallet, a user vault, and that vault has token A in it. It's sent into a smart contract that has two vaults, a vault for token A and a vault for token B. If it receives token A, it does some logic and gives out token B and, and vice versa. It literally behaves as you'd expect it to and as you'd intuitively imagine it behaves as if it was physical objects moving. So that's one of the big things. The other big thing is that Scripto is a Rust-based language. So all of this behavior around assets is added on top of Rust. 
But if someone is familiar with Rust, then the, the syntax, the tooling, everything else is is very easy to pick up and and get used to. And um, in many many uh, developer kind of awards and things like that, Rust always comes out as being pretty much the most loved language that people want to develop in because it is so intuitive and easy to use. So those are the two main reasons why Scripto is getting such a great response from developers, not only experienced developers. I mean, one of the quotes which um, we we showed off in the the Radfi keynote was a a Google engineer um, had a go with it and was like, this is one of the best programming languages I've ever worked with. We also have people who've come over from other ecosystems. So recently, one of our um, coding challenges was, I believe one of the winners was someone who only found out about it three days before the challenge ended. Uh, they came from building on Cardano. Um, three days later, they submitted a pretty complicated perpetuals dap uh, as part of the challenge, and they won one of the prizes in three days from never having heard of Scripto to doing that. So the time to talent is just so quick. And then on the other side, we've got people who have never had professional coding experience in our community go, hey, this Scripto thing looks quite good. I can read some of the code and even as a non-developer, kind of understand what it's doing. I've always wanted to get into coding, I'll give it a go. And literally over the course of a couple of months, they're able to start building decentralized financial applications. Now, if you think comparatively to something like Solidity, that time is years. Experienced coders take literally years to get to the level of expertise and understanding of the language and how to program it and how to work with that tool set that, but until they're at the point that they're actually able to make a production grade application. And even then, with these incredibly talented, incredibly intelligent, experienced developers, we still see billions of dollars of hacks and exploits of contracts in Ethereum every year. And that in itself is one, a nightmare for developers. No developer wants to build a, a, a tool or an application of any kind that handles user funds where they can't sleep at night because they're worried the next morning they could wake up and it's all disappeared through no fault of their own, just because of some weird exploit that is possible. But also, it's not good for users because you also don't want to put your money into an application and be worried whether it's all going to disappear one night. And it's done today. And the current kind of crypto enthusiasts are happy to deal with these sort of things because they, one, see the vision of what this technology can bring, and two, see the incredible upside um, that comes when you use it as an early adopter. But they're almost factoring in things like uh, hacks and exploits and losing their money through a spend approval attack or something like that, because the upside is big enough to justify doing that. And they're willing to have that high risk tolerance and, and to manage that risk in order to get the upside. But as you say, our, our friends, our family, let alone old people, I can't even imagine uh, pe many people in my friend's circle, my own age, who are technically savvy, willing to take those sort of risks of sending hundreds, let alone thousands or tens of thousands of dollars worth of assets through a system where they just have to click approve and pray what their UI told them was true. And if they were wrong or they clicked the wrong transaction or they did the wrong thing, that all of their money has disappeared. It would be devastating for most people to be in a situation like that. And until we solve that, it's never going to be something that they use. Yeah, I think this is like a, a few really good points. And one thing I would add to uh, the letter point is even if you, but also what we also happened in the past is that you did a swap like earlier on a, like on a DAX, which might be not that big or maybe on a bridge. And therefore, obviously you gave, um, they gave the permission, you gave permission for them to interact with you. And after, after a while, especially projects which might have like some bad intentions using proxy contracts, they used them, uh, they swapped the smart contract and you could still get yeah, rug built, right? Yep. At some point. 
Um, so that's actually like, it's a lot of things to make sure that, that you uh, refoc all the permissions and all that. And I mean, for people like us, which have been in a space for a long time, and we know how to do it and all that, it's not super hard, but it's just really inconvenient. Yeah, people, people always think... take the path of least resistance. Like a, a really good example yeah. of that is, is spend approval. Like there was a, a quite high profile one a couple of months ago where someone lost about $2 million worth of NFTs um, because they approved a, a malicious uh, transaction, thought they were sending just one NFT and it sent all of them basically. Now, the what quite a lot of crypto Twitter said was like, oh, well, you should have used a, a temporary hot wallet to send it. You should never send it from your main account. And it's like, yeah, you could do that. But are people really going to do that? Like, imagine if every time you went to go and pay for something in a shop, you had to make a new bank account that you only use for that one transaction, send some money into that, and then send that money on to the person you're buying from. Like, you could do it, but it'd be really inconvenient. And so people aren't going to do things that are inconvenient. And they're not going to be comfortable signing things. They don't know what they're doing. Again, when USDC depegged slightly, there was a scenario where someone um, was trying to exit from there through Curve. And they they traded something ridiculous like $2 million worth of USDC for like 50 cent of USDT or something because they interacted with the wrong pool and it had massive slippage and it didn't uh, get caught. In Radex, that would be impossible because in the wallet, in the transaction preview, you would see, well, $2 million of USDC are going to be withdrawn from account one. It's going to go through curve and you're going to get back 50 cent of USDT. Now, Unless that's what you wanted to do, which would be quite a strange thing to do, you're not going to hit approve on that. But in the current standard, what they got was a pop-up in MetaMask saying, hey, do you want to approve this transaction? And a random string of letters and numbers, and they clicked approve. No one is going to really be confident doing that in any kind of mass adoption way. And one thing which I was actually wondering about, because in um, one relatively big issue in the Ethereum ecosystem currently is that you get front run all the time, right? Like, even though the UI would probably say, well, this is probably what you can get, you can get really easy get, you can really easy get front run uh, if the slippage is too high. Is it actually also possible with Radix or is it something which is inherently not as easy? Um, so that's quite a complex one. What I would say is that the, the difference is that on Radix, that slippage protection wouldn't have to be built in at the application layer. So, Obviously, again, you're, you're just trusting the DEX. So when you go to say Uniswap or something like that, and it says, hey, limit slippage to 1%, for example, and you click, yep, swap, you get a pop-up in your wallet. Again, with a random string of letters and numbers, you have no idea other than trusting that the Uniswap front end built that transaction correctly when you hit approve of whether you are getting a, a control of 1% slippage or not. Whereas on Radix, you would put that swap in, you'd hit swap. And then what would come up in the transaction preview is token A is being withdrawn, token B is coming back. Your guarantee is at least 50 transaction B, for example, of token B. Um, if, you don't, if you're not happy with that, you can customize that guarantee and say, if I don't get at least 55 token B back, don't do the transaction. And that is enforced by the Radix engine on the network, not in the smart contract of the application. Ah, that makes sort of sense. That makes actually, so you actually actually have some sort of a protection against it, right? Because in Uniswap, there's no real protection. Like you just pray, you just hope that everything will go well and you don't get surrounded. Yeah, they gave you some sort of an idea that I, I think 
uh, if you have like five or six percent slippage, you they will give you a warning. Yep. Like, all right, you're probably going to get front run. But the thing is, to be really fair, you can give all the all the warnings you want, but a lot of people don't care. They will be like, all right, yeah, sounds good. I would just want to swap. And another thing I was I would get really really interested in is like, um. So we are a bit of, we are a bit of a meme season now, right? All the meme coins are doing really well, or they used to do really well. I mean, all the Ethereum network, a lot of coins were popping up, and a lot of these coins there were honeypots. Uh, for the people which don't know what honeypots are, basically you buy the token, but you you won't be able to sell it. So basically, yeah, you you screwed basically, right? Um, Using Scripto, would it be easier for, for example, like the normal user to just read the uh, read the actual smart contracts and make sure like they understand it better than with a Solidity contract? Because the thing is with Solidity, people don't get it. They will probably use like these websites which will tell them whether it's a honeypot or not. Is it with Reddit? Is it easier to basically understand what's happening for like a normal average user? Um. So, in in some ways, it's it's way easier. So the first is a something like a, a, a meme token, for example, wouldn't be a smart contract on Radix. You don't need to have a smart contract for it because assets are a native function, a first-class citizen of the Radix engine. So already that's changing the paradigm. The other thing is that when you create that asset, it has certain permissions and certain things it can do, like can it be recalled, can it be frozen, et cetera, et cetera. Those are all, because it's an, a native function, and criteria that are set at the point the asset is created is very easy for things like wallet softwares um, or tools to be able to see, okay, it's got that permission. So again, this is uh, something which, yes, you can go and uh, look at that as a user, but actually it's able to be surfaced to users way easier. So on, on MetaMask, for example, and why do you have to add a custom token? You have to add a custom token because you have to tell MetaMask, hey, look at this smart ERC20 smart contract um, and see if there's any balance for it for um, my my private key, uh, private public key. Whereas on Radex, you don't have to do that because the asset is actually sent to a vault in your wallet. And all the details about that asset are available. So the wallet can quickly look at that and say, hey, this token can be recalled. Did you know that? Hey, this token can be frozen. Did you know that? Um, and other such things can really easily be presented to the user at the UI level that just isn't possible um, in, say, like the Ethereum uh, model of uh, wallets. Yeah, I think I think that's a really, really big thing to be fair. Uh, because if you, like, uh, if you have seen how many tokens um, launched on like Ethereum and how many of these tokens were honeypots, it's insane. And a lot of people like, yeah, they lose money on it because a lot of like these uh, return investors, which just see like a nice name and they just want to find the new pepper coin, they pour money in it and won't be able to sell it because, well, yeah, smart contracts are just relatively hard to read. Where in your case, it's not a smart contract, it's like a function, right? And making sure that actually the wallet has the user uh, interface where the people can read what's actually happening, that will dramatically decrease the chance of people getting scammed. Because from a, like, to begin with, like, it's a scam. Honeypot is a scam to begin with. Um, and one thing I'm actually also really, really interested about is I've seen one of the partnerships which you did lately with Layer Zero, right? Yep. And considering cross-chain is, is really important, I think it's really important, maybe you can talk with the audience what it will bring, uh, what sort of value it will bring to the uh, 
um, to the uh, ecosystem. Yeah, so our Layer Zero partnership uh, was announced a couple of weeks ago now. So for those of you who don't know, Layer Zero is a uh, cross-chain um, messaging service. For, so basically, it's a way to have interoperability between different chains. Now, by integrating with Radix, that means that any dApp, um, any asset on Radix is able to interact with uh, other chains through the Layer Zero network. And because they're connected with basically everything, it means that it's really easy to do cross or will be really easy to do certain cross-chain things uh, using the Layer Zero network. And that's kind of big uh, because the thing is having these cross-chain um, possibilities, I think that's quite, that's, that makes it, that opens up also a few possibilities, doesn't it? Yeah, so there's there's a whole host of things. There's a really interesting blog our CEO Piers put out um, about at the same time as the Layer Zero announcement about some of the things that were really important to how Web2 became so big. And aggregation is one of those things. So, for example, using Layer Zero, you could have your home chain as a user, but using things like Layer Zero, you can send, uh, you can have dApps that imp interact with other dApps on other chains using the Layer Zero network. But as a user, you can you only have to use a single chain. And so already we're seeing things in the industry of even, let alone other chains, but even like L2s. I've seen recently a lot of people complaining about how much it costs to move assets um, from Ethereum onto L2s and, and back again. And being like, this is crazy. Why does this step even exist? And these are just some of the problems we're seeing by solutions that are only solving one problem in the space or making one part or a couple of parts better and why with radix we took this full stack approach where we actually have to tackle a thousand different things and make them better by actually building this from the ground up so that we can create the user and developer experience needed for our friends and family to confidently use this technology yeah and talking about the apps right because um we are talking about the main uh, the upcoming main rate and how many projects are actually gonna come on the chain. I think you mentioned like over 50, uh, which is a good number. I mean, that's that's a lot of projects. Maybe you can talk about a bit more, a few projects which really excites you, because I see there's actually a few projects in there, like Photon. I think Photon is like the NFT marketplace. Um, so maybe we can give a bit more of a uh, bit more um, specific, specific um, projects which are coming on, because, well, 50 is a big number. So maybe a few um, projects which really excites you. Yeah, so I mean, ev everything building in the Radix ecosystem is super exciting. Like one of the greatest things for me and as a, a chief strategy officer is I'm a, I'm a firm believer that as I have been all my career, I've always worked in what's considered platform businesses. Our job is to provide infrastructure. Our job is to connect dApps and users together, allow developers and give them the tools to build great products and great services that ultimately users uh, want to engage with and make sure that they can both come together. It's balancing both sides of that market, the developers um, and the users, the dApps and the assets, and make sure they're growing together because that creates a healthy ecosystem. And what the stuff that the people who are building in the Radix ecosystem are making is just fantastic like already even before we're live with smart contracts 50 plus projects are announced to be going live doing uh, a whole range of different application services from uh, obviously nft marketplaces dexes gaming oracles lending process uh, lending protocols prediction markets um yield farming and and way more and i'm sure there's even more uh, or actually i do know there's even more that haven't gone public yet so it's a hotbed of innovation. Um, while there's way too many for me to call out, and I, I take it very seriously that our role as kind of the, the core team behind the network to not be picking favorites or uh, using our position to bias the ecosystem, um, 
there, there are some obviously that I, I'd love to call out who were involved in our most recent grants program. So the first Radix grants program uh, ran earlier this year. It was over 12 weeks. It was a really exclusive group where we were running it much more like something like Y Combinator or an accelerator, where we took six projects um, out of many who applied and basically worked with them over 12 weeks, gave them some funding um, to really progress their MVP and their, their time to market. And I can see some of them are actually joining in this space. So Photon was one of those. Um, Wiley from uh, XRD Domains is also one here. There was OssiSwap, there was Caviar9, um, Hermes Protocol, and Alphadex. Now, that, that's a range of projects. Just to give you a quick rundown of, of those who we worked with and who were on the booth at Consensus with us. So um, Caviar9, uh, sorry, Caviar Nine, Caviar Swap, and also Aussie Swap are two dexes. Uh, Caviar is doing a lot around uh, single-sided liquidity and some other things. Aussie Swap is doing a lot of cool stuff with concentrated liquidity, similar to Uniswap V3. Um, we've got XRD Domains, which is similar to the Ethereum name service. We've got Photon, which is an NFT uh, launchpad and community um, platform that has uh, one of the most beautiful user interfaces I've ever seen. Um, they're doing some really cool stuff. We've got Hermes Protocol that is a kind of Web3 to Web Web2 messaging service revolving around things like Discord and, and like basically like MailChimp for the Web3 world. Um, and then we've got Alphadex, which is a um, Alphadex is a order book decentralized exchange, which again is a really important thing as DeFi evolves because while automated market makers are fantastic, order book exchanges still provide a lot of services that are needed for complex financial transactions. Um, I don't think I missed anyone there. If I did from the grants program, I'm sorry, but go check out our blog on Radix. Um, got a whole ton of information about the grants program. Um, you can also check out radixecosystem.com that has a list of all the projects currently publicly announced to be building on Radix and deploying when our uh, Babylon mainnet goes live. And we've also, as of yesterday, announced uh, a mini grants program that's running for the uh, Babylon upgrade called the Babylon Booster Grants, which is specifically for any project looking to go live within the first six weeks of the Babylon upgrade and providing some grants to those. So it's a really exciting time for the Radix ecosystem and what's equally crazy and absolutely um, so exciting to be part of is that all of this is happening before smart contracts are live. And so at the end of July with the Babylon upgrade, that's actually just the start of the ecosystem on Radix really. It's the start of when people can deploy live dApps on the network. And I just can't wait to see all the incredible things that are gonna be created in the weeks, months and years um, off the back of that. Gotcha. Um... Like one more, like one question I have is like, let's say there's like people which want to develop uh, Radix right now. Where would they have to go? So super simple, just developers.radixdlt.com. Um, that's our developer hub. It's got list, links to uh, all of our documentation, um, example reference designs. It's got our Scripto 101 course, our Scripto YouTube channel, and also, of course, most potentially most importantly, links to our developer community channels on Telegram and Discord, um, which are super active. They're really helpful group of people, as I said earlier in the spaces, some of which um, people who have joined there had never been professional coders and are now building production grade applications um, all the way through to incredibly experienced, um, super talented developers building some really incredible things using Radix and Scripto. And before I will ask my last question for you, if there's anyone in the audience which would like to ask questions, just uh, make a request to be a speaker and I will grant you access after the last question. So my last question is, um, 
considering the industry, especially the layer one industry, is really getting competitive, right? More and more layer ones are trying to innovate. We have like world ops coming up. We have other uh, cryptographic uh, designs coming up, especially in consensus. How will Radix stay competitive? Like, uh, obviously, you guys are really competitive in the terms of all the innovations you have made. Uh, but is it something, for example, like roll-ups, is it something you will consider in the future? Or, yeah, will you stay with the current uh, stack deck? So definitely stay with our current stack. And, and the reason for that is that we have purposely spent years developing the solutions needed for the actual problems being faced rather than adding things on. So uh, a really good example of this is, is something like rollups or take like account abstraction on Ethereum. So account abstraction is obviously a way to try and uh, abstract away some of the pain points of things like a single private key and seed phrases. The problem is it's adding a huge amount of complexity just to hide the fact that there's still that single point of vulnerability. With the approach we've taken with Radix of having a full stack solution means that we can solve at a much simpler level these many of these problems in a way that is scalable and secure and intuitive for both users and developers to use um, over the long term. The, the other thing in terms of how Radix, what our marketing and go-to-market strategy is, is really quite simple, is firstly, invest heavily in our ecosystem. So things like the grants program we've been running, the support we give to developers, the, the tooling, the documentation, they're all key because ultimately the heroes of the story when uh, the world of traditional finance has moved over to, to Radix and Web3 is running on our network, the heroes of the story aren't gonna be us. It's going to be the applications that people use day in, day out on the network, just in the same way as if you ask most people, like, uh, what do you like about the internet? They're going to tell you a website. They're going to say YouTube or Netflix or Facebook or Instagram or something. They're not going to say, oh, I really love TCP IP. That's not what they're going to say. No one, we shouldn't even be in the sentence because we're just an enabler for those incredibly talented, entrepreneurial, innovative builders to make great applications that users love. And on the other side, our job is to make sure that the barriers to users coming and engaging with those powerful secure tools are knocked down. And that's where things like the Radix wallet that have true decentralized multi-factor account recovery, have truly human readable transactions that they can sign with confidence, have personalized, decentralized, um, passwordless logins through things like personas are critical because we need to provide these tools not only to the developers, but also to the users so they can engage in this Web3 future. Yeah, I think that sums it, that sums it up. I think that's a, a lot of good features to be excited about. At least you got me really excited, especially about the user experience. I, I love the analogy which you just made that like, if people are talking about the internet, they're not going to talk about TCP. No, they're definitely going to talk about the Facebook, Instagram, whatever app they use. I think it's a really, really good way to put it. Um, we have one question from uh, the audience. Armani, I already have you give you, I already gave you uh, speaker access. Just open up your microphone and you can uh, ask your question. Armani, are you here by any chance? Just open up your microphone and yeah, you can uh, ask your question. Well, it seems Hermani is not here. Um, I don't. I didn't have any other um, audience questions for now. Uh, so I think we will wrap it up in that case. I would love to thank you, Adam, for coming on. Um, like you have, I think you have enlightened the community by quite a bit. I've learned a, a lot about Redix today. So a lot. Like there is, like uh, yeah. Thank you so much for that. 
It's been a pleasure coming on and thank you very much for inviting me. And I'd say if anyone does have any questions about Radex, um, feel free to uh, tweet at me. I'll, I'll do my best to reply. I'm quite busy, but I'll, I'll keep an eye out if I get any mentions from anyone here. Um, also, if you just would like to learn more about Radex, the, the two resources I'd recommend beyond everything else is the RadFi keynote. So it's about an hour long. Um, if you go to radexdlt.com forward slash RadFi, you can either watch clips from it or watch the whole thing. I would highly recommend watching the whole thing. It gives you a really good basis of what Radex is doing, what our vision is, and how we're achieving that. Um, the challenge I give to everyone on spaces like this or who I meet is if you watch the first 10 minutes and don't want to watch the rest, send me a tweet telling me I'm an idiot. So far, no one's done that. They seem to enjoy it. So I think you will too. And then the other one is go and join the Radix communities on, on Telegram and Discord. It is Honestly, one of the best, most friendly, welcoming, and informative communities within crypto. We're incredibly blessed to have such a passionate community behind behind the project. So if you've got questions, if you want to learn more, that's a really good place to do so. Awesome. On that note, I would love to thank everyone for uh, coming on. Uh, next week, we have another guest for our Twitter spaces. We would love to have you again somewhere, maybe after the mainnet upgrade, uh, Adam. Maybe we can talk more about other projects which are coming on. We can maybe talk a bit more on uh, the actual update and highlight what's ha what is being different from yeah before and after. Um, so definitely, we we'll definitely have to uh, like to have you uh, again in a few months. And I would like uh, I would like to uh, thank everyone for coming on and see you next week. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Ether. That was the House of Chimera hosting a Radix Discovery. Recorded on Friday, May 12th, 2023. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. And if you want to keep listening, head on over to TerraSpaces.org slash donate and show some support now. There's this principle in like Taoism where it's just like the more you fight something, the more like the opposite of what you want, like just inevitably it kind of starts to happen. There's this principle in like Taoism where it's just like the more you fight something, the more like the opposite of what you want, inevitably it kind of starts to happen. Chirping on the bird app, listening to nerds flap, wondering why the fuck my timeline's so cursed. It's like everybody's holding heavy bags in Web 3. That's why they can't fly. They just drowning in the bird bath, fishing for some dry powder. Watch how we ignite the tower. Blowing up their bank accounts, forgetting how to fight the power. Y'all don't even realize how deep this shit goes. They preaching open sauce, but don't listen to the code. And now it's mutiny, community uprise. There's no more humility, futility, plus size. Motherfuckers leaking from the wrench down to the bare metal. Which side the line you bleeding out on when the dust settles? Motherfucking Westside shit, needle and noose Sticking with my armory, Yam, Beto and Bruce Repping psychedelic artistry, believing the truth Like these motherfuckers even need a reason to sue? GM fam Is it really worth all the effort? Is it really worth all the fighting? Is it really worth all the drama? And the answer, I think, is a clear no we started using Zoom, now we finna zoom out Teaching all these plebidites what this game's really all about Little baby bitches when they choose to have fits All you're left with is kibble when you lose all them bits And that kibble's just sawdust, this shit is all rust Not a great look, you're what we call all nuts And I for 
one did not see that coming Cracking open books, yo, that's a lot of money Meanwhile, over here, rewiring features More critical thinking, less knee-jerk More evolution, less shitcoin preachers Pretending to be teachers, y'all just predatory leeches I mean, please, just look at the track record A bunch of VC rap fucks Sucking up the cheddar, the recipe is two steps Rinse and repeat, now we all in your butts And we bring in receipts GM fam, have a seat. If you're listening to this, my, my plea to you, you would be like, don't have, don't, don't have to take a side on it. Just say like, is it really, really worth this war of attrition? It might cost us a lot more than what can be gained by like fighting this to the better end. And sometimes it's better to just like move on. Terror spaces.